Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now. Ish. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Pendarvis Harshaw, and this is Right Nowish. Growing up in Oakland, the sex industry is this thing that you can't not notice. It's embedded in the culture, from movies to music. It's in the streets, and it's in the schools. And because it's a thing that's not only impacted me, but people close to me, it's something I wanted to learn more about. There's a lot of gray area when it comes to understanding the different types of involvement in the industry here. Luckily, There are people out there working to dispel some of the misconceptions of sex work, sex trafficking, and the sex industry as a whole in the Bay Area. And I'm about to get my questions answered. Stay tuned. Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. Hi, I'm Dr. Connie Wen. Dr. Wen, or Connie, is a professor at Mills College in Oakland and the executive director of Asian and Pacific Islander Women Lead. She also goes around the country talking about issues of race and gender and violence. I should note that I met Connie in the political realm. We were both working with the nonprofit, combating different forms of oppression in America. And now she combines her research with personal experience because Connie is a former sex worker. But talking about it isn't always easy. Connie has only recently grown comfortable enough to share her own experiences as a sex worker. For example, this recent Instagram post. So I'm wearing a leather corset that I love and still have. Oh my God. And then I'm wearing leather booty shorts. (laughs) Uh, And then these really great leather heels. They're stripper heels. Let's just call them what they are because everybody's wearing them now. All right. So seeing her IG post was a bit um, surprising. But after reading the caption, it actually didn't stray away from her political focus at all. So the um, post says, every single experience informs my politics and commitments. Every day I own my stories. Thriving as a Vietnamese woman born in Oakland who worked her butt off in every single way, including through brain surgeries and a racist, sexist PhD program, and in a society that imagines and treats us like we are subservient, this will require that we unsettle others. I am so ready. Our stories, our power. I'm coming for you, unapologetically. It's a shot fired. It was. It's it a is. straight shot fired. It is. It yeah. totally is. That's like, it's a cannon fired. Why now? It's a time by which I think sex workers and former sex workers need to kind of take the stage a little bit. I, I did it because I wanted to claim our space. 
And then I also did it because I wanted to claim who I am. There's also something really empowering about like climbing a pole, turning around and the whole, everybody in that audience looking at you like, dang, she's fly. Like, and you know you're fly. That's something we don't teach our young people. We don't teach each other how to embrace the flyness of it. The only part is in the sex trade, it exploits it sometimes. Mm -hmm. But there is nothing wrong with like the fierce femme in everybody. Like if I could teach you how to climb a pole, I would do that. And I would want you to feel so fierce climbing that pole. Swimming, like I want you to feel like, man, let me just pop that. Like, yo, I would love to teach you how to like be the flyest person in your body right now. Because there's nothing more empowering than being embodied and being able to like command like people with your sensuality because you're embodied. There's nothing like yeah. it. We yeah. just get exploited in this society for it, you know, and women get punished for it. All right. So I've never imagined myself on a pole. But after talking to Connie, I started to see how dancing and other forms of consensual sex work could be empowering. She made it clear to me how working in the sex trade needs to be viewed very differently than sex trafficking. There needs to be a lot more conversation around what the sex trade is, generally speaking, right? Because people are now mainly having conversations around sex work or sex trafficking when there's a bunch of stuff in between. When we're talking about trafficking, it's coerced. Um, elements of trafficking tend to include coerced and non-consensual violence sometimes looks like kidnapping. I'm trying to figure out a way to tease these things apart because so many people are talking about it as the same thing. How do you get to the point where the, the masses know the difference between the two? What I'm hoping to do is to do more research with people who are involved in the trade so that people can tell their stories, so they can help us to identify the differences, right? So, for instance, in my previous research, one of the girls that I ended up talking to her experience was having been kidnapped on park here in Oakland and having, you know, her experience include kid kidnapping and then trafficking across, you know, Reno, Sacramento. So she talks about being essentially held in captivity and how the school was not prepared for that. Right. And so what they essentially did was ignore it. And then eventually they called CPS. I've also worked with young girls who have participated in the trade, they wouldn't have been trafficked, right? They coerced or not, they're on the streets. Um, and, you know, back in the day, they were on Craigslist, right? Like one girl was kidnapped and then other girls are trying to figure out, you know, how to make money. Both are punished and both are criminalized by school or the criminal justice system. If they don't understand the differences, they're just going to continue criminalizing the kids, right? And then they won't understand the context of what's happening. So you're not going to be able to stop trafficking because you don't know the difference. And that's major. Yeah. I guess taking the mask off. One of the things that brought me in to talk to you is that, like, close friends of mine, even family members, have experienced what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, as you're talking, I'm like, I'm thinking literally of my sister's story. Okay. And Oakland Public Schools, middle school she gets kicked out and then she falls into essentially a profession of stripping for the rest of 20 years yeah. until recently, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yes, it was her quote unquote okay. choice to do this. At the same time, what influenced that choice? What, you know, like. I really appreciate you saying that. Um, people tell 
our our kids and ourselves like going to school is going is what's going to like get us out of oppression but we don't account for how schools are violent and how they oppress and how they hurt i'd prefer for us to explore the relationship between our educational system and the sex trade but the policing that's happening in schools is what is the policing that's happening in the sex trade one and the same mm-hmm. you're policing you know schools hold kids captive schools punish kids all the time we have to be able to like not dichotomize that way it's like schools and prisons mm-hmm. schools and prisons so what's then what happens yeah this is the sound of my mind being blown you know like the for real like yeah. i i'd never thought about it like such I'm a former sexual assault counselor. So when I would see my kids um, and experience their violence or their criminalization, I realized that the schooling system wasn't helpful. So I decided to go back and get my PhD and to try to figure out why all this violence was happening and what to do about it. And with purpose, I think, you know, like I don't want to just tell the story just because like, I want people to understand what's happening so that we can support people effectively. Yeah. And and the whatever violence we decide we name it to be, like I want us to do that in the, in service of that. With all of the gray areas and the need for understanding when it comes to the sex industry, Connie makes one thing very clear. There's no need for that savior mindset. There's a need for listening and understanding and diving deeper into the root of the systematic issues for both people who don't want to be sex trafficked and for people who want to be sex workers. This conversation has always been a tough area for me. Like, come on, man, I grew up listening to Drew Down and Too Short, music that made pimping and macking cool. On the other hand, I saw girls I went to middle school with standing on East 14th on a late night. And then there's people like my sister who uh, found empowerment through dancing. More empowerment than she ever found in a classroom. And this interview with Connie, it brought a lot of that into the light. The classroom, the sex industry, and the oppressive forces that people face in America when it comes to simply having control over your body. It's a lot, but I just wanted to do my part to get this conversation going. So, thank you to Dr. Connie Wan for your work. Thank you to my sister for being my big sis and for being open with me about your experiences. And thank you to the organizations working with people who are looking to get out of the life. And thank you for the people who are fighting for the safety and rights of those who want to live the life. Lastly, big thank you to all of those who will continue this conversation as it's something we need to talk about, especially in the Bay Area right now. The show is produced by Ashley Ann Craigbaum, edited by Jessica Plachik, and made possible by the good folks over at KQED. That's Holly Kernan, David Marcus, and Julie Kane. If you got a minute, give this podcast a rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. And continue to spread the word about what we're doing. It's much appreciated. I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw. Thank you for listening. Peace. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. 
Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.